0: Hi, we've got three stories from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes.
1: I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about the science behind a space elevator and how it could make space travel easier, a method to control your impulses, and the six types of disgust and what they're for. Let's
0: satisfy some curiosity. I actually want to follow up on a story we did last week about black lava and how black lava moves really, really fast. Well, we had a question from at psychomouse on Twitter, and the question is, Heard this on the podcast. It was compared to red or hot lava, which moves around six miles per hour. However, today it was reported that Kilauea has lava moving at 16 miles an hour. So what makes the Kilauea lava so fast? Great question. And Ashley looked into this.
1: It turns out that there are a bunch of different types of magma. Actually, they divide it into three types. So there's basaltic magma, and acidic magma, and rhyolitic magma. They're all defined by their chemical composition. Kilauea volcano has basaltic magma that has a lower silica content, which gives it a lower viscosity, meaning that it's runnier and it can move faster. If it had more silica, then it would be thicker and it would move more slowly. That actually affects the shape of the volcano, too, because the magma is so thin. Each time it erupts, the lava spreads out, leaving a broad, low mound at another volcano like Fuego, the magma is much thicker, so it spreads less rapidly, leaving a higher mound. Thanks for your question.
0: And this question did come through via Twitter, but you can always email us at podcast dot com if you have any questions. All right, Ashley, what do you find disgusting that other people think is totally normal?
1: Chewing ice. But what? that's not like disgusting to me. It's just like, Ugh.
0: oh, it freaks you out. Yeah. Like nails on a chalkboard yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it's yeah. different, I guess. Well, some scientists are saying that every different type of disgust is a separate emotion and there's evolutionary reason for each one. So not all disgusts are created equal? Sure. I guess. 2,500 participants were exposed to disgusting scenarios and ranked them each by awfulness. This sounds like the worst study to be a part of.
1: Yeah, I hope you're not eating breakfast right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I won't be too graphic. Here are the six categories they found. First, bad hygiene. We'll just say gross bodily functions and leave it at that. Some you can smell. Some you can see. (laughs) Second, creepy crawlies like insects and rats. That makes sense. Third, scandalous sex. It's hard to say if this one is more social or physiological, but sexual behavior in inappropriate settings was another high-ranking source of disgust. Number four was skin diseases like visible lesions, Five was rotten food, because nobody likes that. And six was people with an atypical appearance. That ranged from people who might look homeless to people who have a marginalized body type. According to the study's authors, a lot of these sources of disgust can be tied to a clear source of life-threatening disease and other hazards, like how rats and mosquitoes can carry deadly diseases, and signs of bad hygiene can be the first signs of an epidemic. But that last category of atypical appearance That might come from a social stereotype or another upbringing. It's healthy to listen to your sense of disgust, but it's also good to understand where it's coming from so re-examine why you're disgusted sometimes before you act on that disgust and read more about all of this today on curiosity.com and on the curiosity app for android and ios
1: cody do you remember Willy wonka's glass elevator how could i forget wasn't that cool just the idea that you could just go way 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 up into the sky with this glass elevator and go anywhere you wanted
0: it was magic they never made a, i never saw the movie if they ever made one
1: yeah, i don't if they did if they did i don't think many people watched it (laughs) i think they did
0: wait we should look it up okay charlie and the glass no the original book has been filmed twice but the great glass elevator has never been adapted
1: well hear that hollywood (laughs) you got another movie idea (laughs) another adaptation they
0: love adaptations they really
1: do what if we could actually build one and not like a glass elevator but a space elevator an elevator that goes to space People are actually thinking about this. Because here's the thing, it's really expensive to fly to outer space. A space elevator could cut those costs significantly. So here's the idea. A space elevator would extend a very long cable from Earth's surface into space. You'd find its center of mass at geostationary orbit, or GEO, which is more than 22,000 miles up. That's high enough for satellites to match Earth's rotation. Vehicles could travel along the cable to transport people and cargo between Earth and space, We'd anchor the cable somewhere on the equator since hurricanes don't happen there and it lines up with GEO. But how do we keep the cable from falling back down to Earth? We'd need a counterbalance higher than GEO. One idea is for us to capture an asteroid to do the job. Below that, we'd have transfer stations and maybe have a habitation structure. And above that, the cable would keep going up and that would help slingshot spacecraft out of orbit with just a fraction of the energy required on the planet's surface. So what's stopping us? Well, lots of things, I think you can imagine. We don't know what we'd use to make the cables or what happens if it needs to be repaired. NASA actually ran a workshop in 1999 to try to figure that out. And Google was working on a space elevator project as recently as 2014, but that was abandoned. There's a new paper out of Johns Hopkins University that hasn't been peer-reviewed yet, but it says that the key is in biology. The researchers say that if the material could heal itself, like a bone or a tendon can— Then you could use weaker materials that could stand up to wind and weather conditions. And that's important because while carbon nanotubes would be a great option, we haven't been able to make any that are more than a half meter long, which, you know, you're going to have to really stretch that out to make an entire space elevator. Space elevators might not be here quite yet, but maybe someday we'll ride to the skies in a great glass elevator. You never know.
0: Ashley, are you an impulsive person?
1: No, like not at all. (laughs) Like the opposite. Yeah. Really? Uh-huh.
0: Well, in case you are an impulsive person, today we've got a method for helping you control your impulses, and it's called the HALT method, as an H-A-L-T, HALT. It's easy to remember, and it's easy to use. You've never probably had to use this.
1: I've used it. Have yeah. you? Oh, yeah, for sure. All sorts of things. Everyone has times that they do something that's based on emotion rather than, like, rational thought.
0: Yes, and this is a way to combat that. Totally. So just ask yourself if you're one of the four things the acronym stands for. H is for hungry, A is for angry, L is for lonely, and T is for tired. As in, am I hungry, am I angry, am I lonely, or am I tired right now? The HALT method is a really useful tool in the world of addiction and recovery, so you may have heard of it there, but you can use it no matter who you are. After all, everyone has let their emotions influence their decisions, as we just talked about. Even put it in the context of shopping. If you feel like you really need to buy something you don't need, then check in on yourself. Halt will help you stop and think about whether you're about to buy something that'll actually make you feel better. Every purchase has a purpose, right? So maybe you'll feel more confident in that new outfit, or maybe you'll feel happier when you've got the best new video game. But those are usually temporary pick-me-ups that don't last. So by using the Halt method, you're the one in charge. Try it out and let us know if you find it helpful.
1: You know when I use it the most? Is in relationships when you like start to argue and you realize like, oh, we haven't had dinner or it's 12 o'clock at night and we're both really sleepy.
0: Yeah. Usually hungry and angry is enough. Yeah. 90% of the time when I make a poor choice, it's because I'm hungry or angry. Right. Or hangry, which is a thing. Hangry. hangry is a thing. It's a thing. We've written about it. And you can read about That and everything else we talked about today on Curiosity.com and on the Curiosity app for Android and iOS.
1: Join us again tomorrow for the Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.